Thanks for joining us today for our Monday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today we will be continuing our study in Genesis. So let's join Pastor Dave now. Soon your trials will be over. Get to Simeon and Levi here, and it says in verse 5, And Simeon and Levi are brothers. Remember, Simeon means he has heard me. And uh, uh, Levi means joined to. So this is, uh, they're named after because Leah uh, was the one that wasn't loved by Jacob. You know, he, his favorite was Rachel. And so as she cries out to the Lord, she's the first one to have a son. And so she goes, behold the son, hence Reuben. And then she continues to be unloved by Jacob. And she's thinking, certainly by having a son, he will now show me the affection that's due me. But It doesn't really happen. And then she has Simeon. Oh, he has heard me, meaning God. He has heard that I'm unloved. And then she has another son, Simeon, joined to certainly, and we went over this, but certainly he will be joined to me now, Jacob, okay, instead of wanting to spend most of his time with Rachel. And so these are how these children got their names. But it says about Simeon and Levi, Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man. And in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger for it is fierce and wrath for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Jacob chose to deal with Simeon and Levi together as brothers, most likely because they committed that same evil deed together. It was back in Genesis chapter 34. It was when all the men in Shechem and retaliation of the rape that they did with Dinah, that Shechem did with their sister Dinah, they killed them all. Instruments of cruelty, it says. Instruments of cruelty in their dwelling place. The word dwelling place in the Hebrew is mekarah, which means swords, is what that means. So in other words, the instruments of their cruelty was in their swords, thus referring to their evil deed of killing all the men in Shechem with their swords when they were in their beds, healing from their circumcision after making a covenant with Jacob. Shechem came to Jacob and the other brothers and they said, you know, I really do want to marry her. And they said that she can't marry a foreigner. And, uh, and so unless you become like us, and they said, okay, what does that mean? He says, it means that you, all the men of Shechem have to be circumcised. And he said, okay, we'll do that. And then on that third day, when it was probably the most painful and they're lying in their beds, that's when they went through the town with their swords and just killed every single male that there was in Shechem. The Bible often speaks of godly anger. Be angry and do not sin, Ephesians 4.26. This is an anger that, doesn't, that um, you make sure does, uh, that does not lead you to do a sinful action. You can be mad about something that goes on in the world, uh, of injustice that happens, but it's not as though you're going to take out vengeance yourself, okay? And so it is, it is something, and uh, you give it over to the Lord, and you just make sure that the sin does not go down on your anger. But then there is, let all bitterness, wrath, anger be put away from you, according to Ephesians 4.31. The difference between a godly righteous anger and an ungodly anger usually is vengeance. You're now reacting out of your anger, and now in your reaction, you're now being sinful. 
That's usually vengeance. And that's the ungodly anger. Jacob wants to distance himself from their ungodly anger of what they have done, their violent ways. And so he says in verse six, let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united in their assembly. He said, I had nothing to do with that. They didn't consult me about what to do. And I wasn't part of that plan, nor do I ever want to be a part of any planning council or assembly they ever have is what he's saying here. He wants to make it clear that he did not have counsel with them and he had no, uh, he, he was not part of the decision of that wickedness. For in their anger, they slew a man, and in their self-will, they hamstrung an ox. The first sin was that they slew a man in their anger. The word man is in the singular, but according to Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum, he says it's being used collectively as a whole for all the men that they killed. The second sin was they hamstrung an ox. Again, in the singular, but used collectively. To hamstr- uh, hamstrung an ox means you cut its tendons so it could not be used for Burdens, plowing a field and carrying things. And it was basically useless because now it's lame. This would have been a very, very cruel thing to do because over time, the animal wouldn't just be lame. It would eventually buckle under its own weight because it couldn't carry itself. They did this in order for anybody who comes across the scene in Shechem after this. It was a warning by Levi and Simeon, don't mess with us, that our cruelty will even go further than just the men who were responsible. It was one man that was responsible and they took it out on all the men. And if that wasn't enough, we even hamstrung, made lame their beasts of burden. So those coming across this horrific scene would be able to see they even did these to the animals. Wow. Wow. He says, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Never again will Simeon and Levi ever be united in doing anything together. The prophecy of dividing and scattering turned out to be a curse for Simeon. The tribe of Simeon was the weakest numerically, according to Numbers twenty-six fourteen, And then they shared an allotment inside the land with Judah. They didn't even have their own Uh, territory that was surrounded by the no they were inside of Judah itself Simeon became small during the wilderness wanderings they started out from Egypt being the third largest tribe with 59,300 numbers 1 verse 23 35 years later they had 22,200 and they were the smallest tribe I will divide them in Jacob scatter them in Israel The prophecy of dividing and scattering became a blessing for Levi. I want you to go over here to Exodus chapter 32. We're going to go in the book of Exodus next. And so I'll let you calculate in your head by the time we get here when that will be. So Moses goes up on the mountain. God gives him the Ten Commandments. While he's up there, uh, a word gets to him that there's a lot of partying going on down below. Um, And so he comes down there and they're dancing around a uh, golden calf, an idol that they made while he was away. Okay. And so in verse 19, it says, so it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and dancing. So Moses' anger became hot and he cast the tablets out of his hands broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf, which they had made, burned it in the fire, ground it to powder, and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. Yeah. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin 
upon them. Now, earlier, while they were gone, they kept going to, we don't know what happened to this guy, Moses. So you need to make us a God that we can follow. And so it's Aaron that says, well, why don't you snap off all the earrings that you have and, uh, and, and, and we will, and with these fashion tools, we'll, we'll make this image, you know? So Moses said, what did this people do to you? Did they, they torture you? Did they make you do this? Something had to be done. No, he just didn't like the peer pressure and he buckled under it. So Aaron said, do not let the anger of the Lord be hot. You know, the people, they're set on evil. And they said to me, make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. And, and I said to them, whatever has, uh, whoever has any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it to me. I cast it in the fire and this calf came out. Wow. Wow. Now, when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them, to their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered together themselves to him. Who's on God's side? The sons of Levi were the first ones to jump on over. And he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let every man put his sword on his side and go in out from the entrance to entrance throughout the camp. Let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, every man his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Now, if you go over here to Numbers chapter three, no telling when we'd get here. Numbers chapter three we read that this is what ends up happening with the tribe of Levi. In verse 5 of chapter 3, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near. So they're a tribe. But he says, Bring them near and present them before Aaron the priest, that they may serve him. What is Levi, the tribe of Levi, going to do? They're now going to serve Aaron. They're now going to be the priesthood. And they shall attend to his needs, the needs of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of meeting to do the work of the tabernacle. Verse 12. Now behold, I myself have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the children of Israel. Therefore, the Levites shall be mine. The Levites now are going to be scattered throughout all the other 12 tribes and all the other land allotments into their major cities to be the priests there for those tribes as a minister to Aaron and, and uh, his sons. That's where the priesthood comes from with, with Israel. And so that's what's going to happen with them. It's the same uh, I love this because it's kind of God's amazing grace that he can turn a cruel person like Levi and his descendants and make them a priestly tribe. That's God's grace. It's the same with God has transformed us, his children in the kingdom of priests. In 1 Peter 2.9, but you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Before I received Jesus, I was not the people of God. Now that I've received Jesus, I've become the people of God. And I've now obtained mercy. In Revelation 5.10, speaking of the redeemed, those who have received Jesus, it says, and have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on earth. We have um, 
slide here of the nation of Israel, and you can see where Simeon is right here. They get absorbed. They will be absorbed into Judah. And then, uh, and then very soon thereafter, this is only known as Judah. You don't even hear the mention of Simeon later on in their history. Um, you'll notice with all the different tribes, you won't see the tribe of Levi anywhere. I'm going to bring this up to you now. We'll go over it next week, but I want you to try and figure it out if you can. Read about Zebulun. It says it borders on Sidon. Kind of a seafaring, the haven for ships. But there's Zebulun right there. Asher, Manasseh are blocking their way to the coast. You have the other sea over here that Naphtali, and I can't even read that right there. I think that's uh, Issachar. Is that what that says? I believe so. And until you can prove me wrong, that's what it is. Uh, and so I believe those two tribes are protecting Zebulun from the Sea of Galilee. So how can they be a haven for ships? Yeah. But that's uh, what's going to be prophesied to them, and we will talk about that next week. Isn't that interesting, though? Anyway, continuing on here. Now we have Judah in verse 8. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall pray. I mean, think about this for a moment. (laughs) Okay, Uh, you you figure for whatever reason they're in line. Okay, Uh, Jacob is probably doing the same thing that he did for Ephraim Manasseh. He's not doing well. So he probably couldn't walk to them. They probably came to wherever he was on his bed, probably sitting in his bed, also on his staff. The, 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 they're brought in, in the order or they're just kind of behind and they're coming forward as he calls them, something like that. So you figure all the, the sons are there and they've already heard what has happened to Reuben. Okay, you will not excel. And now they've heard about Simeon and Levi, you're cruel, and you're going to be scattered. Okay, Judah, come forward. Oh, great. You know, Judah probably felt his past transgressions would probably come back to haunt him. Okay. I mean, we're we're looking at him. After all, Judah wasn't really a man of good character. He was one who suggested selling Joseph for profit to the Midianite traders in Genesis 37. In Genesis 38, we see Judah have sex with his daughter-in-law, Tamar, thinking she was just a prostitute for not keeping his promise to her, giving her son, his third son, Shelah, when he was of age, as was the custom of marriage, and didn't do that, wasn't a man of his word. But he did shine when he interceded and offered himself as a substitute for Joseph in Genesis 44, 18 through 34. But Judah's being called up next. He's got to be thinking, this can't be good. Because the first three certainly weren't. But this is what we read for Judah. Verse 8. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion and as a lion who shall rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Right now he's gone. All right, not so bad. 
binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine, his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Judah is really the first blessing upon one of Jacob's sons. And it also begins with Judah's now preeminence. You are he whom your brothers shall praise. Here we have a a play on words. Judah means praise. Okay, and we see this all through uh, the Old Testament. And because being written in Hebrew, we, we have these play on words. In other words, praise your brothers will praise you. So in the future, just so you know, your brothers will come to praise you. And, and that could be seen in the person of, of King David. In the future, I think it probably means also Jesus at his second coming because he comes from the tribe of Judah. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies, meaning Judah shall succeed in war. And then Jacob adds, your father's children will bow down before you. Judah's preeminence here is seen from the beginning. In Numbers chapter 2, as they began their trek to the promised land, into, uh, promised land, it was Judah who went forth first, leading the other tribes. Whenever they were to move, Judah went first. They all followed him. We see this again in Numbers chapter 10, verse 14, when it came time to go up against the Canaanites in the land, it was Judah who was chosen to go first to lead the other tribes. We read in Judges 1.1, after the death of Joshua came to pass, that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, who shall be the first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. We read last week when it came to Ephraim and Manasseh. But in 1 Chronicles 5, verse 1, it says, now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, he was indeed the firstborn, but it, because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that the genealogy is not listed according to birthright. Yet Judah prevailed over his brothers, and from him came a ruler. He is told that he's going to have this lion-like dominance. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Judah is a lion's whelp, a young lion. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bowed down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who shall rouse him. Right now, Judah, yeah, he's a young lion. Eventually, he's going to become a full-blown mature lion. And guess what? When he lies down... From his prey, he's going to lie over it. He's going to crouch over it. And who's going to mess with a mature lion? Who's going to mess with Judah? Tribe of Judah would take his enemies by the neck. The picture here is a lion with prey in its mouth. With its mouth on it, its prey's neck, hauling it back to its den, fiercely crouching over it to devour its prey. King David when he was speaking of his exploits, said this in 2 Samuel twenty two forty one, Speaking to God, he says, You have also given me the necks of my enemies, so that I destroyed those who hated me. Again, in Psalm 18, verse 39, David again, speaking of him, it says, For you, David speaking to God, For you have armed me with strength for the battle. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. You have also given me the necks of my enemies so that I destroyed those who hated me. The standard, the flag for each tribe, the one for Judah was what? The lion. 
the lion. Interesting, in Revelation 5.5, 5, Jesus is called the lion from the tribe of Judah. Now comes the prophecy of the first coming of the Messiah. Comes from Judah. Verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Now the word scepter uh, in the Hebrew, shavet, uh, means rod or staff or scepter. Well, Dave, why do you think it means scepter here? Because of the next word, lawgiver. Because those two are together and the word lawgiver is shahach, uh, there means to govern, to make decrees, is what that means. So when you put these two together, the scepter with the lawgiver, it speaks of rulership, okay? One who governs, one who makes decrees is the one that's going to have the scepter. And between his feet seems to indicate Judah's seed. So from Judah's seed will come one who rules and will continue to rule until Shiloh comes. The key word here is Shiloh. Shiloh was the name of a town near Bethel. Shiloh is where the tabernacle rested with the Ark of the Covenant for 369 years. Here's an aerial view of it. When you go to Israel, we go here. This is Shiloh here, actually pronounced Shiloh, as we'll see in a moment. And so uh, um, we, we, we come, we enter here. It's really cool gardens and everything. We kind of walk through here. We see all these remains and, and uh, well, not like human remains, but, you know, like... Uh, <laughs> Although that would have been cool. But anyway, uh, it, we see all the archaeological digs that they've done here and uncovered and unearthed. And then there's this building that they made here that you see this really um, uh, sad, uh, you really see this uh, movie about the area of Shiloh and Hannah and all that kind of stuff. And it's a really uh, bad movie production-wise. Um, but, and then you walk out over here and come down here and this is where the tabernacle was right here. And this is where the Holy of Holies would have been, right here. And we get jazzed because we can walk on this ground. And sometimes you feel it's holy ground, but it really isn't holy ground. It's just ground because the Holy Spirit is inside of you now. And wherever you step is holy ground. Okay? It's still kind of cool to see then go, wow, for 369 years, that's where the tabernacle was. And those of you who go into Israel with us and... Uh, you know, in a couple of weeks, uh, Lord willing, we'll be able to go there and, and, and you'll be able to walk there and, and see those kind of things. So the word uh, Shiloh here, Hebrew word, it's Shiloh. It means he's whose it is or whose right it is or that which belongs to him. Interesting. Interesting. Generally understood, this is speaking of the Messiah who is to come, the one whose right it is. The one whose right it is, the Septuagint translates it this way, and also the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, this is one of the most remarkable prophecies in the Bible, the seed from which the tribe of David or the tribe of Judah will rule until the seed of Shiloh comes or Shiloh comes. Already we have been told that there will be a seed of the woman which spoke of Christ in Genesis 3.15. You might remember it, you know, back in the late 50s when we were there. Uh, in Genesis 3.15 says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. The seed of the woman. 
is the one who will do the bruising of the serpent's head with a death blow. The seed is Jesus. He will be the one who gets the victory. We know women don't have seed. Only men have seed. So this speaks of the virgin birth. That's all we have time for today on this Monday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Listen in tomorrow as we continue our study in Genesis. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings. And on Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our young adults ministry, Arise, meets every Friday evening at 6.30 p.m. at the church. Child care is offered for all our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. Thank you again for joining us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God.